Hello and welcome to the Keith Battle Podcast. I'm your host today, Asha Battle, and I am so happy to be here to share with you all an exclusive interview between myself and my mother, Vicki Battle. Um, some of you may have heard it already at the women's conference, but for those of you who were not able to make it, you don't want to miss this. It's some great content. We talk about love, marriage, family, crushes, infidelity. So I hope you enjoy. Can't believe we got her up here. It's been a long time coming. But because you know she only gets in the pulpit like once every decade. I think it literally has. It was 2009, the last time. No, I'm serious. I think it was a decade ago. So you're, See, you're actually accurate. T- exactly 10 years. Exactly 10 years. So how are you feeling? How are you doing today? I, I'm doing good. How are you doing? You look marvelous. So do you. Thank and your you. pistachio. <laughs> you look marvelous. And your tangerine. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so look, y'all, we're talking about redeeming my time. And I'm gonna let um, VB explain to y'all where we came up with this um, keynote topic because I was thinking about Auntie Maxine like the whole time. So you you tell them where you got it from. Well, you were thinking of reclaiming my time. Yes, reclaiming my time. A couple of years ago, Auntie Maxine, well, I won't call her Auntie, let's not be disrespectful, Representative Maxine Waters. Oh, okay. She was um, in a committee meeting and someone was trying to waste her time. So she was just, she just claimed that phrase, reclaiming my time, reclaiming my time, reclaiming my time. And so when we were thinking about topics, that phrase just stuck in my mind. And I was in the car, just going about my day. And um, I thought redeeming my time, reclaiming my time, redeeming my time. And I thought redeeming my time is actually a biblical principle. Reclaiming my time is a political um, uh, strategy, if you will. But redeeming my time is actually a biblical principle. And it comes from the book of Ephesians, um, chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. I'm going to read the verses so that I won't misquote the Bible. I didn't memorize them. So... It's Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 17. I'm reading from New Living Translation, um, just because that's what my husband likes. And I want to honor my husband and thank him for allowing us to do this, Pastor Keith Battle. He is wonderful. And you know what? You forgot to ask me to do this before we go forward. Can I just pray? Oh, yes. Because I forgot to do that, and I don't want to forget to do that. So let's pray. God, we just thank you for this time. I just thank you for the privilege and the honor of being able to share with your beautiful women of God. They are incredible, and I am just blessed to be in their presence. Thank you for their smiling faces. Thank you for their prayers. Thank you for their lives and their souls. So as we speak today, I pray, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. 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 
So we were talking about um, reclaiming my time, redeeming my time. So and I was getting ready to read the verse from the New Living Translation, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunities, every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And I'm going to read that in New King James as well. Same exact verses, different translation. First one was New Living Translation. This one is New King James. It's a little bit more old school, but same word of God. So this, this translation says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So when we were thinking about the topic, we were thinking about Representative Maxine Waters, who I love, and that, that statement that she made in that meeting, reclaiming my time, reclaiming my time, she was trying to pre prevent someone from wasting her time. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that in our lives, we have an enemy in our spiritual lives, the adversary, our devil, who would like to waste our time in foolishness. Mm. He would have us walking in foolishness, wasting our time. And I thought to myself, well, what if, like Auntie Maxine, beloved Auntie Maxine, what if we said, redeeming my time, what if we said to the devil when he comes at us with those kind of foolish opportunities, if we just, like if you go back and you watch the YouTube video of her saying that phrase, she was like reclaiming my time reclaiming my time. She said it's so calm and steady. It was like, she said it with authority. She didn't get ugly. She didn't get, I hate to use the word, I won't use it, I won't say it. Ghetto. Well, kinda. She didn't, she, she, didn't, she didn't go there. She was very, very assertive about this man not wasting her time. And I thought to myself, Perhaps that may be the principle that God wants to impart to us, that we can have, we can walk in that same authority, that we don't have to allow the enemy or even people who are being used by the enemy to waste our time, our precious time in foolishness. Amen. So mom, um, yes. can you talk about a time in your life where you had to redeem your time because you felt like you were living foolishly? Yes. So um, my adolescence, I'll start there, kind of start from not the beginning, but close to the beginning. My adolescence was a little tricky. It was a little dark. And I have to say that because my mom, I have to say because my mom is here, that she, <laughs> my mommy's here. Close your ears, sweetheart. <laughs> my mommy's here. I want to say I honor her today because she was like a really good parent. I had really good parents. Yes. I mean, I had like, they took me to church every Sunday. They modeled moral excellence. They, they've been married for 50 years. I've never heard my mom curse. I've never heard my mom and dad argue. So I had this beautiful example of what a godly woman and a godly um, life can be. But I, got, I hit adolescence and I just went to a dark place. I was rebellious and it had nothing to do with the family of my origin because I had a great family. It's just I was just being rebellious. 
So at this time in my life, I decided to have an abortion. I made that choice. And um, I remember at this time, it just being very, a very dark and sad place in my life, especially after have, making that decision to have the abortion. I remember feeling the weight of guilt that came with that. I remember um, just really feeling like I had displeased God and that this was a time in my life where if I didn't choose to go in another direction in terms of my lifestyle, you know, the, the lifestyle that leads to you having an abortion, um, that I was going to um, destroy myself and destroy my life. So um, shortly after I had the abortion, um, I gave my life to Christ. But it was that sin that I committed that propelled me to really seek God for the first time in my own life. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, I had grown up in church, so I'd heard about Jesus and God, and he really at that point was still just a fairy tale to me. He wasn't necessarily real to me because you can know about God, but not know God. So at this time, I was in this place knowing that I had failed God, had sinned against God, and I had an opportunity because I wasn't dead. God didn't kill me now. He didn't strike me dead. I had, I had an opportunity. And I just remember just beginning to see God for the first time in my life for myself in a very personal way. I began to read the Bible for the first time on my own. I wasn't relying on a preacher or a teacher to tell me what scriptures are important. I had to get in the word for myself. And that's where I learned that in Jesus Christ, I have a redeemer. So that was the first time. That's the most crucial thing that we can do when it comes to redeeming our time is surrendering our life to Christ, surrendering our body to Christ, and turning to him and asking him for the grace to do things his way. Because he, in fact, is our redeemer. And a redeemer rescues. A redeemer um, delivers. A redeemer is someone who buys something back with the purposes of um, taking back lost time or making the most of an opportunity. So for the first time in my life, as a, as, still as a teenager really, I came to understand that in Jesus Christ, I have a redeemer. And I personalized that. And I asked him to come into my life. And he saved me and he, he my life began to change like dramatically. If I, if I called my sister up here, Terry, she would love to tell you <laughs> the difference between pre-saved Vicky and post-saved Vicky. She, oh, she can break it down to you really well because she knows me. She's known me my whole life. She's my older sister. But it really was um, kind of that dramatic. And um, redeeming the time, the principle is, is incredible. But the first crucial step for me was honoring Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior giving my life to him. Nice. Y'all don't know Vicky from the um, BK, from Brooklyn. That's where she was born, so that's another Vicky. We'll talk about that later. Um, 
I'm glad that you shared that though, because you know, I know that probably several people in this room have um, been in that dark place where maybe they had an abortion or they lost a child or um, you know, something of that nature. And it's almost like you said, it's a, a heavy weight to carry, you know? And I remember when we were initially discussing this, you said, whoo, I feel so good talking about that. And I was like, what? And you were like, it just feels like a weight is lifted just being able to share that. So I just want to encourage people because sometimes um, we try to hide it because of shame, but in reality, if you share it with others, you get that community and that um, environment to help you grow and get through it. So traumatic things like that, you really do have to talk through with people and um, forgive yourself. So did you go through that process of having to forgive yourself and how did you get through it? Um, you know, after I gave my life to Christ, I remember just medit really meditating on scripture. So a big scripture for me was Psalm 51, which David talks about he, his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. And it, he just is crying out to the Lord to ask him, ask the Lord to cleanse him. And so that really became the inclination of my life at that time was, Lord, please forgive me. And I was, it was, there was also a concerted focus in terms of turning away from the lifestyle that I had lived and living a different lifestyle. So um, I had to turn away from sexual immorality and ask God to give me the strength to live a more chaste, if you will, lifestyle. And that was, um, that was key, that was key. Surrendering my body and what I did with my body to the Lord. Good, so you have forgiven yourself. Absolutely. You know, the thing about it is, I think you asked me when we were initially talking about this, is do you still regret it? Yes, I did. And I said, yes. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's, some, that's like the one decision in my life that I will always regret. Mm -hmm. However, I know that I'm forgiven. Amen. Amen. Thank you. That's good. So since I have you here, I've got to ask some questions about you recently redeeming your time. That was adolescence. Yes. But let's go into this book, Side Chigology. Did you read it? I did not read the book. I'm so sorry. And I, I just want to say, I just want to encourage you all to read it. You can get it right out here. So why didn't you read it? Um, Y'all think that's funny. It's true. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't you really read it, didn't. I really didn't. Um, so it's interesting. I was just back there looking at the, the conference thing, and it says faith forward, right? So this is what happened. When all that came out and I found out what happened, I had a decision. Like, I could have handled that so many different ways. But God really impressed upon me that this is not the time to be mad and upset or try to get even. This is the time to forgive and this is the time to rebuild. And it was actually a time to rejoice because God was doing something great. He had answered my prayers, he had heard my cry, and I could say, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Now I have the opportunity to rebuild. I didn't want my family to fall apart. And I had to move faith, faith forward. So for me, reading the book, although it's probably a great book, 
Aw, you're so cute. It's about the work in my marriage that I really sense that God is calling me to do daily. And that that work really requires a faith forward focus. Amen. I'm looking. We just celebrated 30 years of marriage. And thank you. It's not over. I want to, oh gosh, I was thinking about this and I was like, that was just a chapter in the book of my life. And it was a sad, dark chapter. And, but it's just a chapter. And my whole, if my whole life is a book, that chapter is the middle that I want to get better in. So that was the middle, and that was rough. So if you're in the middle of your life and you're having a hard time, I know how you feel. The middle is rough. However, if you get through some things, it's almost as if God just gives you a renewed focus and a renewed energy. He will renew your youth like the eagle. And um, you just move forward. And it's like that work that I'm doing in my marriage, I still have to do that, I still have to do the work. And I don't wanna be distracted, if you will, by continually talking about the past. So, um, for those of you who don't know about the book, it's called Psychology: Why Men and Women Cheat, and it's a tool for recovering from infidelity. So, I want to give you the opportunity to speak on your experience. Because the book is written by Pastor Battle, we don't get your side in the book, we just get his side. So, um, do you want to touch on that a little bit? You know what, I just, since I'm like in a confessional mode, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just continue to go in that vein. Um, I really have to say um, that I was not a good wife. I was a bad wife. There was a season in my life, I was a horrible wife. So honestly, to find out that my husband cheated on me, I can't say I was all that surprised because I probably did a few things that made myself a cheat-worthy wife, meaning that, and, I'm, and I, have to, I have to be careful because people do make their own decisions. So you're not responsible for, if any of you have ever experienced that, maybe I'm not the only one. Um, you're not responsible for your husband's infidelity. Um, you're, but you are responsible for your actions in the marriage. So you can't control what he does, but you can always control what you do. So I had to really um, ex experience and um, know for myself that um, God was not pleased with how I was treating my husband. And I had to get to a place where I was repentant about that. So it's not, I guess I had the mindset that because I'm not cheating, I'm still here, I clean the clothes or I, I take care of the home, I take care of the children, that I'm still doing what I'm supposed to do. 
But that's not necessarily the case because in a Christian marriage, in terms of the covenant of marriage, I love the way Dr. Miles Monroe used to talk about his wife. God bless his soul, he's not with us anymore. But he would say that his relationship with his wife is his most sacred trust. So it's crucial how we treat our spouses. And I had failed in that area. I was not a good wife to my husband. I didn't treat him with the love and the respect that he was worthy of, not by virtue of what he did for me, but by virtue of the fact that he was a son of the living God. That's God's son. I can't just treat him any kind of way. So I had to repent of that. That was my sin. So when we talk about the side chickology and my side of the story, I guess my dirty little secret has been that, you know, I played a role in that. It wasn't all just about, oh, my husband cheated on me. I could not play the victim role. And I really, God wouldn't let me do it. But it was such a blessing because he allowed me to see me. And when you allow God, when I allowed him to see me, then I could do the work of becoming a better wife. And so that's where redeeming the time comes in. So now, that's my work. I'm, I'm constantly working on being a good wife because I know what I used to be. And I have an opportunity to redeem the time. It's my choice. Now, I can continue doing what I was doing. I could do that. But it's my choice. I have a choice to redeem the time. So, you know, hopefully, if my husband were here, he would say that, yeah, she's a little better than she was 10 years ago. <laughs> I hope he would say that, honestly. Because that's actually my intention and my hope, is that now he has a good wife. He has a loving wife. He has a wife that he can trust that he knows has his back. And I haven't always been that. So that was my failure. That was where I had to redeem the time. As a, as a grown woman, I had to redeem the time. And God was so gracious to give me the opportunity to redeem the time. It didn't have to be that way. I'm so proud of you because I'm, I'm like really getting all this out of you. We didn't look. She's going off script, y'all. So I'm like, oh, OK, OK. Now we're getting cozy. <laughs> well, can I, can I go off script for a minute? Yeah. OK, so this is the thing. I know I chose to have an abortion, but you have your own story. she is. She crosses her legs like a petty individual. But so, yes, I have my own story. Um, it didn't end the same way, but um, when I found out I was pregnant, I was living in New York, and um, I had planned my abortion. I scheduled it. I was going to Maryland to um, go to the, my doctor. I was going to not tell anybody and just get it over with. So I tell my doctor, I say, you know, I'm trying to schedule my appointment. Please make sure, is, is anything going to go to my parents' house? Any mail? And the lady's like, no, absolutely not. We, we're not even allowed to do that. I'm like, all right, cool. Kaiser sends mail to my parents' house. And my dad opens it. 
so then he calls me. He's like, um, you know, are you okay? Anything going on you want to share? I'm, no, I'm good. I'm up in here working, yeah. So then my mom calls me. Everything okay? I'm like, what's going on? My mom's like, Asha, you don't have to be scared. We got you. And I'm just like, oh, so they know. <sighs> so she's I'm like. I'm so glad my husband opened that mail. Thank God for nosy husbands. <laughs> yes. But the support, the level of support and the overwhelming love that they showed me. I wasn't even in Maryland and I just, I was in New York and they were just like, Asha, like, you don't have to be scared. We got you. Like, we got you. So automatically, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, all right, I'm about to do this. I'm about to have a child. And y'all know Carson, y'all see her running around here. Like, that is like their pride and joy. They, like, literally, that's, she calls him K-pop, my dad, that they are like tight. And literally, Carson and Vima are like connected at the hip. So, <laughs> yes. I, I brought that up not just to get you to spill your personal tea, although that was really good. It really, I really honestly, I wanted to take the opportunity and redeem the time and commend you publicly for the choice that you made. Aw, thank you. Appreciate that. So, yeah. By extension, I'm sure there are many of uh, many other women who've made that choice, and I want to commend you as well because that's a very difficult thing. And I know people are scared and they don't know how they're going to make it. But yes, because being yeah. a, all you single mothers, shout out to you because being a mother in general is hard, but single mothers, I mean, you carry on this weight of both parents, and I just got to give it up to them. So yes, um, can we get I'm back sorry. on script? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> she petty. Okay. So I'm gonna go back to what we talked about because I remember when we were discussing everything. You said that the time, the whole side psychology time and time of infidelity was the best time of your life spiritually, and I was like. She's crazy. Like, what, what does she mean this best time of her life? And then I'm just like, you would expect her response to be like, I was crushed, I was heartbroken. But her spirit is just so, it exudes such like grace and poise. And it's just like this elegance about you. How was that the best time of your life spiritually? It was, it was well, I, I'd say it like this. I guess there's, what's that quote? I don't know the author, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. So, but the thing about it was, so for me, my marriage coming apart, I, you know, it, it was really kind of earth shattering. I never saw myself as possibly being divorced and I never really wanted that for my children or my legacy. Like I said, my parents are still married, they've been married for over 50 years. So when the possibility of my marriage falling apart became real and I had to deal with that, what happened was it really propelled me to dig deeper in my relationship with God. So even though the marriage was suffering, it was like on this other plane and this other space in my life 
I was beginning to grow closer to the Lord. And he was breaking me down and purging me of old attitudes that were not conducive to my spiritual growth. But yet he was building me up in terms of my identity in him, um, my security in him, um, the fact that he just loves me. And so it's almost as if at that point, because things were so bad between us, I couldn't really depend on that safety net of marriage. Because marriage can be, a, it's supposed to be a comfortable place in terms of you finding comfort and solace in your spouse. And it should be that. But if, it's, if it goes left, where do you find that comfort and that solace? And so for me, I found it in Christ. And that's why I say that it was really the best time of my life because no other time in my life did I feel more loved. It's so ironic and it blows my mind, but no other time did I feel so loved because I just felt like God was there every step of the way. And he was sustaining me, keeping me, loving me. And it really was an incredible season of my life. I will never forget it. Outside of my salvation experience, it was probably the best thing. It was incredible. It was beautiful. I'm thankful. And it was nothing but God just having mercy on me and loving me in spite of my flaws. And then building me up and picking me up and redeeming me. Yes, redeeming my time. Redeeming my time. So did you ever think about leaving? Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is, look, it wasn't, it wasn't because of the whole affair thing, though. I, it doesn't take an affair for somebody to think about leaving their marriage. It really wasn't. I mean, I was thinking about leaving way before that happened. Right, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm sure there's women in here like, look, oh, he got one more time. Because is, this, is the seven-year itch a real thing for y'all that are married? Like, why seven years? I heard everything. My mom, when I asked my mom about the seven year itch, she said, it's an every year itch. <laughs> so what made you stay? What made me stay? What made me stay? Oh, there's a beautiful scripture. I don't know exactly where it is, but you all know. It's, it's basically, it says something like, the love of Christ compels me or constrains me. So... You know, the love of Christ was all over it. So he had just given me this opportunity to rebuild the marriage in spite of all the trauma that we both inflicted in the marriage. And I was like, this is not the time for me to quit because it is just getting ready to get good. It's getting ready to jump off. Why am I going to leave now? I was like, I can't leave now. This is getting so good. I mean, God just, I mean, really, almost in a miraculous way, just turned the whole situation around. I can't tell details, but I'll just suffice, just suffice it to say, God is watching your life, and he is woke. 
okay? He's woke in your life. He is woke. He sees everything that's going on. Woo! So, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to flip out. I didn't have to curse anybody out. I didn't have to take my earrings off. I didn't have to put no Vaseline on my face. She's I didn't about have to that do life. none of that. No, seriously. It was all God. I didn't have to be mean. I didn't have to say one mumbling word. It was only Jesus. So why would I leave when God did all that? I was like, no, he's too good. Mm -hmm. And he just might get gooder, if you will. Bad, bad English, but good theology. He just might get gooder. So this is the time, it was an opportunity to redeem the time. In the face of trauma, it was an opportunity to say, no, now is the time to rebuild this marriage and just see what God can do when I submit myself to him. But I had to get myself right, though. I told y'all I had to change the way I treated my husband. I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with that foolishness. He wouldn't have blessed that. But when I made the decision to align my will with what his will was for me, that's when I saw the miracles and the love. And I could stay. And, I, and it wasn't, I didn't have that desire to just flee and just be miserable. I just, I saw God's hand at work. So usually when people talk about infidelity in their marriage or their relationship, you hear a lot of like low self-esteem. What did I do wrong? Why me? I'm not pretty enough. And I remember I asked you if you went through something like that. And you told me you guys were at um, your counselor, and your counselor said, um, on a scale of one to 10, how is your self-esteem? And she was like, mm, I'm about an eight. Cause she knows she's fine. Like <laughs> Vicky is a fox, okay? So I'm just like, can you talk about how you got to that just level of like self-assured? You were just like, I'm, I'm good. I mean, cause other people may be dealing with something similar and may be feeling very much in a low place. So can you give them advice? Well, I honestly don't think that I'm fine. I never was that girl who thought she was fine because I, I grew up in New York surrounded by beautiful women. I grew up with Puerto Ricans, Italians, beautiful Caribbean, all shades and colors. So I was not the one to stand out. I was really the girl next door. So I don't think I'm fine. So it wasn't that, but this is the thing. When you know that Christ love you, loves you and your value and your worth comes from who he says that you are, mm -hmm. there is no man alive that can, give, that can take the place of me knowing that I'm lovable, that I'm worthy of being loved. There's, you know, there's no substitute for that. So it wasn't that I think I'm fine. It was just that I know that I'm loved and I know that I'm worthy and I know that I'm um, forgiven and I know that God has a plan and a purpose for my life. Mm -hmm. And so I think what happened was Looking back, 
I almost, I was talking to Miss Sherry, she's sitting, First Lady Sherry, and I was talking to her about this time in my life, and it felt like God was carrying me like I was his little baby. So it was like he was just rocking me and consoling me and keeping me. And when you have a spiritual experience like that, and God, and you're in the eye of the storm, you're not like out on a beach or at a resort. You're in the eye of a hurricane, but yet you feel the love of Christ just rocking you and keeping you calm and whispering in your ear that it's going to be all right, and I got you. That's good. That's good. So it wasn't that I think I'm cute. I wish I was, but I ain't all you that. You're fine, girl. <laughs> like fine wine. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. But it was more, it really was a little bit deeper than that. It was yeah. that God had, he had built something into me that was, um, gosh, imperishable, irreplaceable, because the foundation was him and his work and his love, his person, his character, and everything that he had done for me. That's good, that's good. So can you give... Um, uh, some practical steps to redeeming our time and recovering from infidelity. Some practical steps, recovering from infidelity. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take that um, and say that as hard as it is to do, the first person that we have to look at, even when we found out, find out that our spouse has been in, unfaithful, is really look at ourselves. And not ask ourselves, well, what's wrong with me? But ask, my, ask ourselves, Lord, is there anything that you want me to be doing differently in this situation? How can I align myself with the work that you are doing in my life, in my husband's life, in this marriage, so that I can just be working with you? Because I'm your co-labor. I'm not doing it my way. I'm working with Christ. He's, doing, he's in charge. So let me join my will and my decisions and my heart with what he's doing. So it's kind of a, the principle in the Bible that says um, if there's a, you can't talk about your brother if he has a log in his, a speck in his eye, if you got a log in yours, that's apl applicable in marriage a lot of times. We can't always condemn our spouses when we're the ones, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes people just a little crazy, but sometimes, you know, if we're honest, we will find that there's some, there's some specks in our, in our eyes that need to be cleaned as well. Mm -hmm. So that would be um, one way to redeem the time. Also accepting Christ's forgiveness and forgiving mm -hmm. is a huge way to redeem the time because when we forgive, we don't waste time in bitterness. And bitterness is a huge waste of time. It's like somebody said you taking, what, taking poison, somebody else said, and expecting somebody else to die? No, that bitterness is, is going to kill us. So redeeming the time, forgiveness is one way that... Um, 
is just crucial in terms of forgiving the time. I mean, redeeming the time and just knowing that we are forgiven as well. Mm -hmm. Nice. So since we're redeeming our time, how did you move forward and redeem your time with your husband to the point where your marriage is better than, than ever? Well, that took a lot of, um, we did counseling. We have great pastors that we're accountable to um, that can always um, check us, if you will. Like if I get out of line, I have, I have a first lady. I have a first lady, she says, okay, well, let's talk about this. <laughs> She's so sweet. And I have to get my stuff together. I am accountable to somebody, and my husband is very accountable. So um, it took accountability. We had a great marriage counselor, um, a whole lot of prayer, but more than anything, the willingness to see God's will be done and to um, just kind of humble ourselves and take ourselves maybe out of the equation a little bit and seek the glory of God in the situation. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Thank you, Asha. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to do some rapid-fire questions. Okay. All are, right. these from, are these from questions that people sent in, or are these your questions? These are my questions. Okay. Okay. But it's rapid-fire, so you got to think on your toes. Well, what if I don't want to? What if I'm afraid? If you don't want to answer, just push, say pass. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Biggest crush ever on a famous person or a regular person? You already know the answer to this question. You're trying to get me to tell. <laughs> You're trying to get me in trouble. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Please tell the people uh -uh. because it's hilarious. You're gonna laugh. It's hilarious. <laughs> if you don't tell them, I'm gonna tell them. No, I'm not saying it. See, you forgot his name. See, God is good. He the, he's a name. singer. He has the hair. And he wears some scarves around his neck. He looks a little eccentric. No, not Maxwell. Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> out of all people, out of all people, that's who she chose. This you got some more fans. <laughs> Y'all can have him. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, New York or Maryland? You know, I'm always in a New York state of mind, girl. Why? Because it's like, it's no city like it in the world. See, I'm starting to talk like a New Yorker and everything. Oh. Like, what's up, son? Yo. What's your biggest fear? Um, not completing my assignment for Christ. Hmm. What's your favorite sport? I don't like sports at all. <laughs> What's your favorite movie of all time? I liked Inception. Hmm. What's your favorite food? Um, I like crab bombs from Jerry's. Mm -hmm. Favorite TV show now? Um, I'm not really, there's nothing that I'm watching. Well, when it comes back on for the last season, I, I watch Homeland, so I'm like, 
that national security nerd. Favorite TV show as a kid? Brady Bunch. <laughs> Personal characteristic you are most proud of? Um, that I genuinely care about people. Hmm. Like yeah, if somebody's going, somebody starts crying, I'm gonna be right there with you crying. Yeah. Be like, mm -hmm. oh mm -hmm. Lord. Yeah. 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 And she, yeah, she will cry with them. Um, name a couple of the most influential books you've read. Um, gosh, that's a good question. I don't want to pass. I want to say I want to come back to it yeah, if I can. Come back to it. Five people. Well, you don't have to do five, but who has inspired or influenced your life the most? Um, I have to start with my parents. Mm -hmm. Thomas and Velma Pickford, because they really have lived a good, godly life. They're not famous, nobody will know who they are, but they lived a god, they live godly, good lives. And it's been like that all the time, like since I was, since I can remember. Um, my husband is an incredible inspiration because he's just so phenomenal at what he does. He's like a freak of nature to me. And it's just, he just inspires me to not be afraid because he's not afraid. He's going he's gonna to get up in boldness and clarity and he inspires me to do that as well. Whereas I'm a little, and in my nature, I'm a little bit more timid, but he inspires me to be fearless like he is. And then someone who I never met, I always loved Mother Teresa because I just, I just thought she had something special because she would love people who the world would throw out as trash. Mm. And she would literally get on the street and pick, pick, pick up people who were literally left for dead like they were trash, human trash. Mm. And she would take them back to her place and clean them and love them, feed them. And they could, be, they could like die the next day, but she gave them that one, that one day of dignity. Mm. I thought that, I think that's just, she was the bomb. Yes. Okay, the first word that comes to mind, Vicky Battle. Daughter of the King. I'm sorry, that's Hallelujah. four words. <laughs> Zion Church. Miracle. You said what? Miracle. Miracle. Mm. Keith Battle. Lover. Thomas Pickford, that's her dad. Oh, he's just, I want to say he's like my king. Hmm. Yeah. Velma Pickford. Sweetness. Mm -hmm. Hot Girl Summer. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> oh, you, you, you need to get setup. on Instagram again. <laughs> Social media. Question mark. I don't know what that's about. I just got an Instagram page, really. I'm like, what? I have three posts. <laughs> that I posted for right. her. I don't get it. Jesus Christ. Everything. New York. Home. Zion women. Beloved. Carson. Mm. <laughs> the Pope. Oh, that's Papa. <laughs> no, Pope literally means Papa. Oh, okay. <laughs> Marriage. Sacred. Children. 
love. Give it up for Vicky Battle, y'all. Thank you guys for tuning in and do me a favor, like, subscribe, share this with a friend, leave a comment, or head over to sagacitycompany.com and drop a question that Pastor Battle might be able to answer on the podcast. All right, we'll catch you next time on the Keith Battle Podcast.